The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Suspense. Are you ready? Revelation chapter 14. Okay, so go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you're using one of our in-house Bibles, we're going to be on page 1049. Continuing on page 1050. So if you're following along in your Bible, I don't know what page it's on. So good luck. Just flip to the back. You'll get there. Chapter 14 of Revelation, and we're going to be reading verses 14 through 20. Here we go. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Ooh, yeah, I know. That's a lot of blood, dude. Um, If you're newer to church, uh, this idea of, you hear frequently, at least at our church, this idea of the blood of Christ, and you'll hear like the the blood of the Lamb. We even sing songs about it. We're going to sing a song, a couple of songs today about that. And if you're newer here, you're going, okay, they talk about the blood of a lamb. If those cats bring a lamb out here and sacrifice it, we are out of here, honey. Trust me, we're not going to be doing any of that today. No sacrificial lambs being slaughtered in the house today. Um, That's tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) That's the barbecue tomorrow. No. (laughs) Oh, I can tell already. It's going to be a good one. Some kids were walking out of, not our church, but another church, and they were over here talking later on in the week with their friends at school because their particular church was going through this book of the Bible as well, the one we're in right now. And they said, well, what are you guys talking about at your church? And the kids said, we're doing the, they're doing the book of reevaluations." <laughs> and when you think about it, this is exactly what Revelation is. It's a re-evaluation. Because it's, it's an apocalypse. It's not just apocalypse now like end times and terrible things at the end of the world. It's apocalypse, which just means expose. It means pull back the curtain. It means unveiling. And he's going to say things are not as they seem. It feels like evil is out of control. Especially in the election season this is just the warm-up for two years from now. I'm just telling you, it feels like, oh my God, what's happening here? This is terrible, awful. Things are out of control. God must be on vacation in Barbados right now because the people have, the, the weirdos have taken over everything. 
Uh, it feels like that, doesn't it? Things are not as they seem. Jesus is risen. Jesus is king. Jesus is not there panicking, freaking out over the other side winning or losing for you, regardless of you losing your mind. Um, we are in Revelation 14. Um, let me get there myself. There it is. Revelation 14. We're going to take a look here at the beginning. Uh, Crystal read the end of it. We're going to look, take a look at some scenes that happen here at, at the beginning. And you'll see there at the beginning of your note sheet, there's a little heading there that says, Hey, pick a side, pal. Pick a side. Here's where it comes from. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. With him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. A couple of things to remind you about when it comes to this particular genre or style of literature. This is not a news report. This is not a YouTube thing of just the facts and narrating like somebody describing for you historically, boom, 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 in some CNN or Fox News uh, podcast or written or, or a video report. This is symbolic. This is designed to provoke our imagination with imagery. And so we talked about this a few weeks ago. If you weren't here, a quick recap, 144,000 doesn't mean literally there's only going to be 144,000 Christians. doesn't mean that. 144,000 is this perfectly, perfectly, perfect, complete number of awesome everybody is in. When God takes a census, he got us all in, the people who are part of his kingdom. It also talks about this idea of God's name written on their foreheads. We talked about this last week. That there is in our world, not just at the end of days, but right here, right now, there is a dragon and there is a lamb trying to mark you. They're trying to mark you to say, they belong to me. That's what's going on in the world. He says, there's some people that are faithful to Christ, that have followed Christ. They're marked it doesn't mean you go look around some of your Christians going, so when I got baptized, did they do some weird thing in there with a J-E? No. It's the idea of a symbolic marking, the idea of you've been set apart and sealed by God belonging to him. Verse 2, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. And then they didn't have electric guitars back then or, and bass electric stuff. Like the sound of many harps playing together, which I go... But they had nothing else. If they had, it would have been like electric guitars and, and, and the bass thumping away. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and 24 elders. That's all stuff we've talked about in the first few weeks. You can go on our website if you've missed any of this and go back and listen and watch or re-listen, re-watch again. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, mark this next phrase here, following the lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. He's telling us here, hey, pick a side. Pick a side. And if you say, well, I, you know, I don't want to pick a side. I'm just going to be neutral. 
You stay neutral in this deal. You decide to stay, hey, I'm just going to stay neutral. You know what you're on? You're on the highway to hell. And the highway to hell is a blast, without a doubt. Highway to hell, well, sometimes it gets, some of you have been on the highway to hell and know it's not so, not so fun. But the truth is, highway to hell is a blast. The destination, not so much. But you pick a By default, you're on a side. He's telling us you've got to pick the right side. The lamb and dragon are trying to get you on their side. And it tells us in here, in verse 4, it says, they've kept themselves as pure as virgins. And some people think this is a sign of something at the end of days where this is the idea of people that are committed to Christ are going to be celibate. But I don't think he's saying that. Again, this is apocalyptic literature full of symbolism. And if you look at some verses there on your note sheet, James chapter 4, verse 4 says it this way. Anybody who chooses to, to, to be with the world is committing adultery on God. He doesn't say they're just disobedient God's mad. He says it's unfaithfulness, like a marriage relationship. And then if you want to see some rated R language in the Bible, read those verses in Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 23. There is stuff in there you're going, so that's in our Bible, huh? We don't have coloring book pages for the stuff that's there in Ezekiel, but it's graphic description of adultery and not of man and woman in a marriage. He says, look, God is telling his people, I have betrothed you to myself to be completely one with me, and you're out there sleeping around on me. He says, these people that are followers of Christ don't cheat on God. They're not committing spiritual adultery. And I love it here. It says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. John, who is seeing this vision, writing this down for us, back in the book of John that he wrote, the story of Jesus' life says it this way. He says, he quotes Jesus saying, my sheep know my voice. They listen to me and they follow me wherever I go. The sign of being a Christian is not that you get everything right. It's just, where's Jesus going? I'm just going to go there. That's all it is. Where's Jesus? I'm going, I'm going to go there. And sometimes following Jesus where he wants to go is awesome and amazing. Sometimes, like 23rd Psalm, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Everybody loves that part. Everybody hates the part of goes, And even when he takes me to the valley of death. I fear no evil because he's with me. His rod and his staff are there and they comfort me. He's present with me even in the darkest, nastiest, awful kinds of places. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. He's telling us here, pick a side. Get on the right side. Stay with the lamb. Get marked by the lamb. Go wherever he goes. And it says there that they don't tell lies and they're without blame. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. Some of you are hearing that going, well, I am not perfect here, so I guess I'm not a Christian. He's not saying that they're not, he's not saying that they're perfect. What he's telling us is a sign of a follower of Jesus Christ is over the long haul, your life has been changed. You little by little by little, we talked about this last week, 10,000 steps in the right direction over a long period of time. Some of you started, sorry, the camera's going to miss me. For those of you watching on broadcast, we're glad you're here. I'll come back in a second. Some of you started way honking. You weren't even in the room. You were over there, in the, way over there somewhere. And you're right here right now. Some of us are way farther over here. But you know what? We started right here. We were raised in a family. We didn't have all the jacked up, messed up, religious, rebellious stuff. And we, boom, it just was boom, boom. So it's not about how far you like in measuring yourself by anybody else. It's like God's done something in my life and I'm not perfect but God has done something here to change me. 
And it's this idea is the longer you walk with Christ, the less and less there should be of any massive glaring weaknesses. Doesn't mean that you don't have problems and be setting things to trip you up, but you don't just stay in it and go, you know what, I'm Italian. It's just how we are. Or I'm Czechoslovakian or I'm Paraguayan or whatever your in is, or it's, I'll just stop right there because I had other thoughts and my wife all the times yells at me at things I say here. I always go, you'd be so proud of the things that I thought about <laughs> that didn't actually come out. And then we got in these next few verses, we get some like, some little, some little TikTok posts, some, some Facebooks, Instagram media reels. They're just quick little boom, boom, boom thing. It's not like big, long chapters. It's quick little boom, boom. So we're going to boom, click on one of these. Verse six, I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. His voice would be better in mine. But give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. You'll see there's three basic things he's calling us to do here. This good news is to fear God, worship God, glorify God. Fear God, worship God, and glorify God. And the emphasis here is not on fear God, worship God, and glorify God. It's you're going to fear, worship, and glorify someone or something. The most irreligious person in the world, the most person who's never been to church in their life, fears, worships, and glorifies someone or something. It's whatever you look to that provides you ultimate joy. That's like, here's what I center my life around. And sometimes that's bad and destructive things. And sometimes it's amazing things like your career or money or your family or your marriage or your kids all around that. And what he's telling us here is, you fear, worship, and glorify that stuff, they cannot bear the weight of it. Some of you have been married to people like this, that you were the center of their life, and you went, that was good for about, what, 37 seconds? And it crushed you, because you can't live up to it. You can't bear the weight of being the center of somebody's life. Only God can bear the weight of it. That's why we sing the song, these songs here all the time about God is worthy. What we're saying when we say God is worthy is that God's worth it. We can put our whole life, we can put every hope, every dream, everything on him. He's the one who's worthy. We sing this great song. We're not going to sing it today because I didn't think about it until too late. And the band already had their stuff together. It's called In Christ Alone. We sing In Christ Alone, my hope is somewhere saying, look, I love the things that Christ gives me. I love the things that he gives me when he gives me better finances, a great marriage, stuff works out better with my kids, my job. Certainly those are gifts that I love. My hope is not in those things. My hope is in Christ alone. I fear, I worship, and I glorify him. You're going to do some work this week in your follow-up questions on the call it intersect here. Whether you're in a group or not, jump into those questions. Those of you that are watching us today, live streaming on the broadcaster with us, jump into those questions as well. He then goes on to say, because we live in a system that's going to tell us, oh, you can find your identity and meaning not in God but in the beautiful things of Babylon. And Babylon is beautiful at times. Look at it, verse 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Keep in mind what John is doing here. 
He is not saying that someday the Persian Empire of Babylon, modern-day Iran and Iraq, are going to rise up again. Now, they might, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying was, back in the day, back in those days, in the first century, Babylon was the prototype of a world system completely aligned in a rebellion against God that had made themselves great and fantastic. They were the dominant world empire. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that world empires get like that, become beastly, not beautiful. And they crush everybody who doesn't uh, align with them. And and he says there uh, that this system seems so overwhelming because it feels like everybody's aligned with Babylon and do you want to see here, there's, there's a little two-letter word there used twice after Babylon. What does it say? Babylon, you can talk to me, it's okay. Is, not, not will fall. Babylon's done. And you know when Babylon got done? When Jesus died and rose again on the cross. Now, Babylon's done, not dead. Like the beast wound to the head, mortal wound, but still flailing around like a mafia boss in prison, totally captured, but can give orders from there, do all kinds of shady shenanigans and stuff like that. That's what's going on. We're going to see here in Revelation here, Babylon was pictured as this seven-headed, ten-horned, gargantuan, uh, mutant kind of beast. But Babylon's not just this, be- this overwhelming beast. We're going to read about it um, in the next few weeks. In chapter 17 and 18, you know how Babylon is pictured? Pretty woman walking down the street. You you know that movie that glorifies sex trafficking? Pretty woman, right? She's hot. That's not how, just so you know, I mean, just a little spoiler here for you. That's not how the girls look out there on Fifth Street. But Hollywood and Disney can go, ooh amazing but he's telling us who babylon is beautiful and seductive and it makes you go wow it says here she made the nations drink the intoxicating wine of her sin or immorality Um, sin isn't just bad write this down today sin is intoxicating All, all the time those of you that have kids now in elementary and middle school and high school, as parents, our hope is to scare our children with how bad sin is. And I'm telling you, you should stop doing that. Because they're going to try it a few times and go, my parents are dumb, clueless, idiots, fools. Because they tried it and went, what do you mean it's bad and evil and there's terrible consequences? This is awesome. You know why? The old Puritan fathers talked about it like this, is because Satan and sin and evil is always presenting the bait, but never the hook. And the little fishes go up and go, and they get on that bait and get enough of it, and all of a sudden, the hook gets landed. It's always fun at the beginning. If sin wasn't fun, no one would wreck their lives on it. You just wouldn't. What he's telling us here is Babylon is fallen. This system it still has some life to it, but it's fallen, it's done. So he's telling us here, don't fall for the fallen. And it's tricky because we live in a culture, we live in a world system that's going to tell you, come on, when it comes to money, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to 
immorality, when it comes to, you fill in the blank here, come on, what's the big deal? He says, don't get, don't get sucked in. Don't fall for the fallen. Babylon is done. And then just in case we missed it, we swipe up or swipe left, however you do it on your device to the next reel, the next little TikTok post here. Then, look at verse 9, a third angel followed them shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshiped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Reminding you again that the mark Maybe at some point, an absolute rebellious, actual physical thing that they put here. I don't think so. I think he's trying to tell us that the lamb and the dragon and the beast are trying to mark you. Get marked by the lamb. Don't get marked by the beast. Um, He's going to tell us, don't get too comfortable in this world you live in. Men and women who are Christians here today, who are followers of Christ. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand who would identify that way. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ has called us to be salt and light in the culture that we live in, to make a difference, to not withdraw from the world, but to live in and amongst the world. I heard a guy say it years and years ago, if a fish can swim in salt water and you can catch that fish out of the ocean and eat it and go, hmm, I don't taste, and you have to put salt on it. Isn't that kind of weird? You can live amongst something and be saturated all around you. And it not get in you. Um, but he's also going to tell us, uh, the Peter, who writes the book of First and Second Peter, tells us that, hey, men and women, you are aliens and strangers here. Aliens and strangers mean is you don't really fully belong here. You're in this world, the, the famous little Christian catchphrase, you're in this world, but you're not of it. So don't get too comfortable here. Don't get too enmeshed. In it, he says, if you do, and we're going to take a look uh, next week at, at some stuff here regarding heaven and hell and the wrath and judgment of God. We're going to take a look at that. Read ahead, chapter 15 and 16. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not pretty. And the truth is, I don't like it. If I was writing a book, to convince the world to follow Christ, I would not have this stuff in it. Because it gives people going like, what in the, what? But just for a second, you have to recognize here that God is talking about evil and write this down today. God is not indifferent to evil. People think, well, okay, so people did some wrong things. Can't just God like, you know, you do with your kids. You yell and scream at them, put them in timeout, and then just, what? When you're sick and tired of the yelling and screaming, let them back out again way too early or you forget to jet it and just, God's not indifferent to evil because he's not going to be indifferent to what's going to destroy people and a world that he loves. You guys know that you have kids and grandkids. Man, you mess with my kids. I'm starting a prison ministry from the inside. Some of you are going to get that in a second. 
God's not indifferent to evil. He's not indifferent to what's going to destroy you. What he's going to also tell us here is that you get marked by the beast in this world. And again, not some conspiracy theory of some embedded thing they secretly did to you in the dead of night to put a credit card chip or a vaccine. It's not that. It's an overt action to say that I'm going to let my life be marked by the world and loving the world and being part of this world. I told you last week, some of you got the mark of the beast all over. You're worried about the future someday. There's a bunch of us here that already have the mark of the beast all over us right now. It's already there. Decisions, write this down, decisions have consequences. The decisions you make in this life about Jesus Christ are not just about your best life now. Because there is a life beyond this life and you were wired and made by God in the image of God to exist eternally and you will exist eternally. Let me give a graphic description here. We're going to unpack some of this and deconstruct some of this next week. So come back next week we talk about what eternal punishment that's talked about here in Revelation and other places in the Bible, what that's really all about. He says, this beast is going to offer us intoxicating stuff that's just going to make us, you know how it is with evil, right? You take a little bit and you want a little more, right? And the next time you don't just need the same thing you had, you need what? A little more, a little intense because you know know how it is when you started with over here. This is how addiction kinds of happens. And, And this is not just about drugs and alcohol. This is all about shopping. Remember when you used to go to the store to get the little adrenaline rush of picking up a bike? You get out, walked out that you in there, and you got the thing, and, and you did the money, and you bid the, even Dave Ramsey cash thing or a credit card thing or whatever, and you had, oh, reward and rest. You can do that 85 times a day now. Boom, 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 click like that. You get that thing. He's saying, look, it promises rest. It promises reward. And sometimes it gives it to us. Sometimes it's a counterfeit. It it promises and we get it and go wait that that's what i sold out for that but you have to know this too that sometimes when you do wrong and do evil it's fun and there is reward it just doesn't last it doesn't endure and you have to keep going back to it more and more and more um look at verse 13 here This is now where we move from commands and warnings to promises. Verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work. For their good deeds will follow them. Anybody in here today? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Or you know somebody who's just, you look at their life. I guess I've done this now for a number of years and I see people here and I look at some of your faces and I know your life and I go, this can't be what they thought their life was going to be like when they were five, six, eight, ten years old. What, what happened? And not even sometimes, sometimes they were dumb and stupid and did some things that caused the chaos. There's sometimes like, they got caught in the backwash of somebody else's nonsense. And then people who struggled physically. 
mental health kinds of stuff or handicap challenged kinds of stuff. There's a young man in our church. Um, he comes here all the time. He usually sits right back over in here. They pull a chair out. He's in a wheelchair. His name's Justin Harvey. Um, when, I, when I get going up here, he'll give it. He doesn't sit there like you guys, just kind of. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> he'll let me know. I don't know. He's 30-some years old, and for years he has struggled with this. And his parents have struggled raising him and all the challenges that goes into a special needs, hyper-special needs adult and just the challenge of it. I think it's someday there's going to be rest and reward for him. Lady at our church who helped us get the church started back 18 years ago at Abbey Renke Elementary. Any, who got, just curiosity, who was here at Abbey Renke Elementary? Look at that, what, 12 of us maybe? Yeah. Diane Powell was the one on our, on our prayer team. She prayed for me faithfully, would send me prayer requests all the time. She would show up here several times a month before our Saturday service, and we would pray together here, praying for the services. Diane has had a tough life, a really difficult life. Some of it, most of it's not even her own deal. Most of it's, she just got, can I just say it this way? She's got dealt a crappy hand. It was all, I mean, the things, and I, I look at Diane, and there was time times I thought, if I was her, people had to think, why do you follow Christ? Remember the, what's the song, What Has He Done For Me Lately? For Diane, it's like, what has he done for me ever? That's what you would, from the external thing, and that woman would just love God and follow God faithfully. She died just a week or so ago in the presence of God now. And rest and reward for how she obeyed and followed Jesus when there was just no flipping reason to do any of it because it didn't get her jack squat in this life. That's the kind of faithfulness that he's talking about here. When it makes no sense to obey Jesus, rest and reward is coming. And for those of you here that are following Jesus, need to know that God's keeping track. Keeping track of you. That means, Jesus says this. He says, even a cup of cold water given in my name. You know what he's saying there is? Even the tiny, dumb little things that nobody sees, I see it all. So that name tag you put on the 37th person that you walked up to in the pod today, God goes, track, got that. The, the cl- so clicking on the slides and running sound and stuff. The people up here in the band that show up early. The stuff we did to set up and tear down a jack-o'-lantern jamboree last weekend. But sitting there with the kids back there and doing crafts and hiding things in the room for them to do little things to discover and follow Jesus. Like Jesus goes, I'm keeping track of every single one of those things. And sometimes you'll serve God faithfully. And morons like me won't see it at all. And I should. And nobody ever says anything. You never get, nobody ever goes, oh, look, oh, thank you for, you never get thanked, never get recognized, never get any of that. So you get no reward maybe in this life. Jesus says, just hang on. Because my investment plan, you know, you hate, like the whole idea right now is, are you going to outlive your retirement dollars? 80 billion trillion years from now, the rewards are compounding and flowing. 
rest and reward is coming. Oh, I got to hurry. Now we get to this section here that Crystal just read for us about the grapes of wrath, this, this scene of judgment. In the first one, there's two harvests that are listed here. Two of them. Uh, the first harvest is a har- it says the harvest of the earth and the whole earth is harvested. And oftentimes, most often in the Bible, whenever they talk about the harvest, it's a time of joy and rejoicing. If you're a farmer, you know that, right? You did all the work, all the struggle, all the stuff, and you finally got through it. And then the harvest comes and it's like, yeah, go get all the harvest, load up the barns. We're going to Vegas or New Orleans or wherever you're going to go. We're going to celebrate because the big massive harvest has come in. So there's joy and rejoicing over the harvest. There's verses there from Isaiah and Hosea, Matthew, Mark, John. Jesus says it this way in John chapter four. He says, take a look guys out there. The fields are white to harvest. They're, They're ready to go. He says, there's coming a day when God's going to harvest the whole earth. And so it's a symbol of the 144,000, not literal 144K, but everybody's there. The whole world, all the Christians from past, present, and who will become Christians are all coming to a point one day when we're all going to be brought in in God's great harvest. So there's a sense of it, of this being positive. But there's also a sense, as, as you read it and paid attention to this at all, where you go, okay, this doesn't sound so positive, Steve. Because I was listening. Verse 17, after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel had power to destroy with fire. Wait, harvest joy, destroy with fire. Hmm. Came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress. Mark those next three words in your Bible. This is the pivotal point of what's here right here. Outside the city. You'll see in a second. And blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle, which is like five feet. Grapes being harvested like this, this is clearly a picture of some kind of not awesome. I mean, nobody goes, awesome, a 200-mile river of blood five feet deep. Yay. Nobody's excited about that. Nobody. When you first read it, it has the overtones and foreboding of negative judgment and all the blood. It also talks about this. Keep something here in Revelation and flip back to the middle of your Bibles. If you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. Find the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a little past Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Then Isaiah chapter 63. It'll also be up here on the screen if you just want to make a note and look it up later. Isaiah 63 verse 3 says this. Or 63 verse 2 and 3. Why are your clothes so red as if you've been treading out grapes? And the answer is, because I've been treading out grapes, it says, I have been treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. So this idea of the wine press of wrath is this idea of grapes symbolizing blood and the juice that comes out there. 
And then go a few more pages to write in your Bible. It's a little book called the book of Joel. Your Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And then Joel, Joel chapter 3. Look at verse 12. I'm going to start in the middle of the verse. It says this, I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Positive harvest, the first one. Second harvest doesn't appear so positive. It feels negative and sketchy and blood and wrath and judgment. And the question is, okay, is this a judgment of God's wrath or a harvest of God's salvation? What is going on here? Oftentimes, uh, I grew up and would go to churches and hear people speak and preach in this. Now, I've been a Christian for a while. And they'll talk about this being a scene, a foreshadowing of the great battle of Armageddon. When the, we're going to look at Armageddon in a, in a couple of weeks. But at the great battle of Armageddon, it says that the rebellious people of the world gather together as one big against God. And in the plain of Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon, which is like all the movies right now. Well, not even right now, but back what? Ben Stiller and those, not Ben Stiller, Ben Affleck, sorry. Wrong movie. All about Armageddon and end of days and judgment and those kinds of things. What's interesting about the battle of Armageddon is that the battle scene is drawn up and the battle lines are, uh, happen. You know what doesn't happen? The battle. You're going to read it there. Read, read it this week, chapter 15, 16. Because they show up for the battle. You know what happens? Jesus says, over. And it's done. You know where the battle of Armageddon was fought? Not out there in the future somewhere. Happened in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And the enemies, and, the, and here's what's so beautiful about this, is that this is what I told you, write down that little phrase, outside the city, mark it up in your Bibles. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when it says that Jesus was crucified, you know where it says he was crucified? Outside, because you don't do crucifixions in the middle of the city. Outside the city. And out, can you know what was outside the city? The dump where they would burn garbage all the time. There was garbage burning all the time and sewage is dumped out there and corpses of people who didn't have families to bury them were dumped out there. Jesus would use the phrase for it. It's called Gehenna, which oftentimes is another euphemism for hell. It's a place of just gross, disgusting, ah, it's hell. And you know where Jesus was crucified? On Golgotha. You know what Golgotha overlooks? Gehenna. He's crucified in the presence of hell. And in that moment on the cross where the wrath and judgment, where all the wrath and judgment of that's, that's yours, that is rightfully yours and mine, if those are all pictured as grapes, it's full there. And he's coming out to stomp out and tramp out and trample out the evil. But you know what was crushed 2,000 years ago? Not you and me and not our evil. The Son of God was put in that wine press and he was crushed. And he was humiliated. Isaiah chapter 53 says that he was bruised for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it may be you that gets trampled. It can be your blood in that massive long valley. Because that blood is coming. Wrath and judgment is coming for sin. It can be you that gets trampled. 
because you deserve it. Or you could let somebody else be trampled in your place. And we're going to sing a song today about this. It has a great line. It says, the sin of man and the wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. It wasn't the grapes and, the, uh, and, and you that were crushed at the cross. It was the infinite son of God that was crushed. And this death, this death of Jesus was not a martyr's death like William Wallace. Remember that in Braveheart, the big gruesome martyr. It was one person that died there and it was awful. This heroic death and it saved Scotland because one guy died there. What he's telling us here is, is this was not one little death out here as a, some symbol of love and grace and sacrifice. What he's saying here is the blood was spilt and blood had to be spilt. But there's enough blood for the whole dang world. 200 miles long, five feet high. That's how much blood is there. Not a little bit here for the people that really get the right with God and get their act together and get it all straightened up. You can get a little bit and we're going to parcel out and have little things. You can get a little drop of it here and a little drop on you. No, there's enough blood there for everybody who wants it. There's a great song. Uh, for those of you who didn't grow up going to church and hear this song, it's a great song. We're going to sing another song that's an old song today too. You're going to love it. It'll be a new song to some of you because you've never been to church before. That'll be awesome. It says there's blood enough for everyone for rebellious pinheads and religious pinheads. For the unrighteous and the ones who thought, I'm not that bad, I can do it myself. Probably a bigger sign of rebellion and more awful that more deserves to be crushed than the addicts and the prostitutes and all that jacked up stuff over there. It says there is a fountain filled with blood, not filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So the question today is this this harvest, a harvest of wrath or a harvest of salvation? And the answer is yes. The wrath of God was taken care of once and for all. It tells us that Jesus died in that cross and he'll never die again because once and for all, he infinitely paid for the sins of the world. Hebrews 13, 12. I didn't even get you there because I forgot. Hebrews 13, 12 says this way. So also Jesus suffered and died. Next three words there. Outside the city and bare. Oh, wait. I lost some place. Outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of whose blood? His own blood. When he comes out of the battle of Armageddon, it says he's going to be clothed in robes dipped in blood. Guess whose blood it's dipped in? Not yours, his own. That's how the battle is won, is that the blood of Christ was spilled and it made a river of blood so wide that you're never going to exhaust it to cover the sins of the whole world. Jesus died because of you, instead of you, and for you. Which means that for some of you today, it's time to step across that line of faith and say yes to Jesus, to believe. And some of you are going, well, I don't know if I know enough yet. You don't. I'm 60 years old. I've been a Christian my whole dang life just about. I don't know enough yet. There's still things in here I go, wait, what? You're not going to get this all figured out. But at some point you go, here's what I know. I know that 2,000 years ago I should have been crushed or I should be crushed for my sin and rebellion and someone stood in my place taking the wrath and judgment that my sin deserved. He did it for me 2,000 years ago. That counts for me today. I believe that. I don't get it, 
But I believe that's you today. Today's the day you step across that line of faith and say yes to Jesus. On that connection card, you can drop, drop there's a note about that. Come talk to me after the service. Our prayer team will be up in the back of the house in a few minutes. And you want to go back and pray with them and, and seal the deal, close the deal with Jesus and go, it's time for me to say yes today. Uh, there's another great song we're going to sing today. That says, it says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. That's what it means to pour contempt on your pride is to go on it. That just means I surrender, God, I give up. And then it's see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, which means we obey and we follow and we give and we sacrifice for Jesus not to get his grace because we've already received it. What else are we going to do? So it's the idea of devotion and celebration that we don't obey God because he's making a list and checking it twice. I hope I can just, what, what's the bare minimum I got to do to get by? It's, it demands, it's everything. I just give him everything. The band's coming up. We're going to, um, <laughs> this is fun. We're going to sing some songs about this amazing love, the cross of Christ and all that. We're going to invite you to come back and receive prayer for anything you have going on in your life today in the back of the room. And then in the four corners of the room, we have communion. If you're newer to our church, just let me explain this really quickly. It's a piece of bread and juice that symbolizes the death of Jesus, his body that was broken and the juice, his blood that was spilled. Guys, we live out here in wine country. We go to parties and things all the time. What do people do with wine glasses when they, when they want to say something awesome about somebody? What do they do with them? They toast them, right? When you, when you do a toast to somebody, you don't go, yeah, I toast them. Mm. I would encourage you, part of what I do from time to time here with my that little cup and bread is raise a glass. Raise a glass to the only one who's worthy of it to what he did for us on the cross, to the, the amazing, fantastic, unfathomable, reckless, crazy love of God. So go get that communion. And if you feel led to do that here, to take a moment here and toast the son of God who's worthy. Jesus today, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.